Thank you. Well, if you want to flip ahead in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start out in verse 2. When Paul wrote this uh, first letter to the Corinthians, he had already received uh, a report ahead of them. Um, an oral report and also a letter from the Corinthian church. And what Paul was hearing was that there was division in the church. There was division over um, who, who's, who's pre, what, which preacher people were identifying most with. There was division over how to do this right here, what we're doing this morning. They, they couldn't agree um, and, uh, and be friendly about the discussion uh, how to do this right here, gather corporately. They're, they're, they were excited about the gifts of the Spirit, and they were zealous, uh, and, and, but there was rising among them quarreling. <clears throat> we see that in verse 11. And also in chapter 11, he uses the word factions. That's a nasty word in relation to church, that there would be factions uh, that would divide brothers and sisters in Christ. But that's what was developing in the Corinthian church, and all of it was keeping God's people from working together to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes to them and begins his letter, and he goes back to the beginning. The Corinthians had responded enthusiastically to the gospel and to the spiritual gifts, and they were, they were very zealous, but something had gotten lost along the way, uh, because at this point, there was the relationships between church members were becoming toxic and they were becoming anti-gospel. They were leaving people out. They were, they were not just cliques, but factions where they were, they were identifying with, with causes within the body of Christ and, and styles within the body of Christ over and against other styles. They were exalting themselves and letting their own opinions and styles erode the unity and the bonds of love between, between them. So Paul addresses this by stating something so fundamental and so basic that it seems that the Corinthians had overlooked it, and that is their calling. Their calling. In verse 1, Paul talks about his calling, and then he reminds them of their calling. And this calling is the calling that we've all received as followers of Christ and that every person in this room has. Um, so let's pray and let's pick right up uh, there in verse two. Father God, we thank you for the call that you have called us with. We, we thank you that um, you called us to yourself. We thank you for your word that reveals the, the, um, the details of our call and of our mission and what we are called to. We thank you that you have not left us alone to do it on our own strength, but you have given us your spirit to dwell inside of us, to clothe us with power, to empower us to go out and do the works of God by the power of God. 
Uh, we thank you. We pray that you speak through your word. Uh, take my feeble words today, Lord, and put your life on them and let them be true and accurate to your, your word and, and, and apply them to our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, it says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Every person in the family of God is called, everyone. You can actually give up that ultimate search for significance and search for ultimate definition and direction. You can give it up because it's included in the call to which you are called with. You can tell Bono that you found what he was looking for. 1987, it's been a long time. You don't have to wander aimlessly and go through a free spirit stage and make a bunch of regrettable decisions in the name of self-discovery, eventually getting to the place where after a lifetime of turning inward and focusing on yourself, you end up emptier and less actualized than before. You don't have to hit a midlife crisis, which researchers say Happens between 45 and 64, so you guys got time. <clears throat> you don't have to do all of that. You just need to remind yourself of your call. And we need to be reminded periodically of our call. The call that we received when we first received Christ. And that call is to be a saint. What is it to be a saint? That is, you were called into eternal fellowship with Jesus Christ, the Son. You were called out of mingling with the spirit of the world to be set apart as God's holy people, and you were called to the work of ministry. Every single person in this room has received <clears throat> that call. You could say, we are called to be rescued, to be transformed, and to be commissioned. All of us have received that. Now, it is this last part of our our, our calling as saints, the calling to the work of ministry that I want to encourage you and exhort you in today. Ministry callings, let me say this right off the bat, ministry callings are not for monks, mystics, and missionaries. That's not what ministry callings are for. They're for those people, but they're for you too. I would, I would venture to say that many believers do not operate with this understanding that we are all called. There's a couple of things that I'll bring up. There's many examples that could be brought up, but one is a very common statistic that has uh, uh, held steady for many years, and that is that 20 to 30% of the people in a church, in any given church, do 70 to 80% of the serving. That's just a statistic that has held for many years in, in churches. And I think that what underlies it is, is a common misperception. And I also want to bring up another example. That, that there's, a, there's a common phrase that gets used. Are you ready for it? <clears throat> Man, I think I'm called to the ministry. After all these years of being a Christian, I think I'm, I'm called to the ministry. Now, to be clear, when somebody says that, usually what they actually mean is, I think I'm called to leave my current employment and 
work for a church, be a pastor, be a missionary. And that's, that appears to be a subtle misunderstanding, but it has actually very big implications for the body of Christ, as crippling implications for the body of Christ. Because if, if we all believe that there's only a few people who are called to the ministry, then we feel that we are called to come here to listen to them minister to us, and then we go home, and it's like the ministry is happening. But it's not. You're called to be equipped to go out and do the ministry. As it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the ministry. It doesn't say in verse 12, he gave these to do the work of the ministry so that the saints could watch or the saints could just be blessed by it and, and go home, but so that the saints would be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Now, a question that you might rightly ask is, how do we get this confused if it says it so clearly in Scripture? How do we get this confused? If we're all called to do the work of ministry, why is that a common misconception? Well, I think that it lies between the distinction between the, first, the primary calling and the secondary calling. There is confusion as to what our primary calling is and our secondary calling is. Very quickly, the primary call, you and I, all of us in this room, every person who is trusted in Christ had the same one. It isn't different. We're all called primarily to the work of ministry. There you go. I can tell you and give you that definition right now. It's concrete. It's solid. You have it forever. You're called to the work of ministry. It's the same. You don't have to figure that out. You don't have to take personality tests. You're called to the work of ministry. Personality tests are great, but that's not the one that is helped by that. Your secondary calling is the specific context in which you do the work of ministry. This one, it's helpful to know your spirit animal, your personality, everything like that. What you're passionate about. Your secondary calling. This is where we differ, okay? And this is where things become a mosaic, where there's all these different pieces, but together they make a big picture. But they're different. And they, some, some people are the, the shading over here, and some people are the color over here, and the shape over here, and we all are different and come together and make a big picture, whether you're a pastor or you're in logistics, whether you are a missionary or a technician, whether you're a church secretary or you're in intelligence, all of these secondary callings are uh, what we do to fulfill our primary call to the work of ministry. It doesn't matter whether you're on the church's payroll or whether your work email has the word ministry in it, all of these callings are sacred when done unto the Lord. A good example in scripture would be Matthew. Matthew appears in his own book, not until the ninth chapter. And Jesus calls him, and he calls him to leave his work in the tax booth. It says that Matthew left the tax booth and followed Jesus. So that was Matthew. But Zacchaeus, who was also in the same line of work, a tax collector, Jesus did not tell him to leave the tax booth. Instead, Zacchaeus said, you know, I, I give this much to the poor and I give this much to all those people that I've been scamming all these years and I want to I follow you. And Jesus doesn't say, leave the tax booth and follow me. He's, 
He basically leaves him there in his work context to do the work of ministry right there, giving to the poor, being an honest tax collector, and being a testimony for Jesus right there. So Matthew and Zacchaeus had the same primary call with all the saints to do the work of the ministry, but they had different secondary calls through which they did the work of ministry. Now, so we're all called. We established that. We're all called. But that's not where the verse ends. In verse two here in Acts, and uh, excuse me, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse two, it says, we're called to be saints alone. Called to be lone ranger saints. Called to be Saints alone? No. We're called to be saints together. We're called together. 20 years ago, next month, the movie The Matrix came out. Come on, Jack. Yeah. You're feeling me. There's this moment later, later in the movie where Neo, he has the moment, you know? And he realizes he is the one. He's the one. The one that they've all been waiting for. And now he doesn't even have to dodge bullets. He can just tell them to stop. He beats up the bad guys and, the, you know, saves everybody and everything like that. But that, he had his moment. <clears throat> you and I will never have that moment. Jesus had his moment. He's the one. He did that. And all of us are called together. We're not going to have the one moment, but we are called. We're called together. All of the gospels and letters in the New Testament are either written to a group of Christians or to an individual about their relationships and working together in ministry with other Christians. The work of ministry is done by Christians in community. Each person is uniquely shaped by God to have something valuable to offer, a role to play, a gift to exercise in the work of ministry. I said in the first service this morning, I said, you can see this around pillar. I said, whenever you, uh, whenever you see uh, Jeff Hill and, and Courtney and, and John up here um, playing music, and you, whenever you see uh, or hear Dave Bunn teach theology, or you, you see Crystal Cirillo taking care of the plethora of administrative details in the church, you've seen this at work. You've seen this for yourself. We all have something to bring to the table and we advance the gospel together. Now, I do want to bring up on the side here, the processes of discipleship and evangelism, especially daunting to a lot of people, it's actually a relief that we're not called to do those uh, just alone. We can do those as a church. I've seen people come to church because one person invited them, and then another person shares the gospel with them, another person baptizes them, another person disciples them, another person leads a small group that they're in, another person uh, joins uh, together with them in a fight club to, to help them persevere and fight sin together. We do this as a family. We do this together. We've all got something to offer, and none of us can fire on all of those cylinders and embody all of those gifts like Jesus. So we do them together. When Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, the image that came to everybody's mind was not Jeremy Wade traveling the world in search of river monsters. You know, one man, one pole, catching fish, 
Really cool show. Not what everybody was thinking about. What came to everybody's mind when Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, is a group of people in a boat working together to catch fish. They did it together. In 1 Corinthians 3, just a couple chapters after our text here, Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. And a, a few verses later after that, he said, I laid a foundation, somebody else is building upon it. So God works through all of his people to accomplish his ministry purposes. And it starts right here in the local church where believers gather together to care for one another and to serve alongside each other. So though that right there is what I wanted to establish this morning. I took the text and I just made a beeline for the, the points that I wanted to make because we're gonna do something a little different this morning. At the end of our service, we're going to have our missional community leaders come up and they're going to talk about um, their, their missional communities for just a couple of minutes. And we're going to invite people uh, to join missional communities and, and uh, fulfill this call that we have from scripture together. But we are called to the work of ministry and we're called together. Before I finish this out and we sing and have communion, sing again, and then the missional communities, um, we're going to look at Acts 2. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, gives an overview, gives a picture of how God's people did community and mission shortly after the resurrection. Here's how it reads. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This passage is a collection of snapshots of community life in the early church. This is, this is what life looked like in the church shortly after the resurrection. You see a devotion to the teachings of Christ in his gospel, frequent prayer and fellowship, gathering for corporate worship and breaking bread in homes, sharing goods, receiving with glad and generous hearts, and praising God. A few things I want to say about this. <clears throat> one is, whenever we read scriptures like this, especially one as influential and foundational as Acts 2, it just shows us what life in the church was like um, in the early days, we want to be careful how much we read into it and how much we project onto it. We want to uh, be careful because uh, sometimes people have, have read into or projected onto scriptures like this, things that have hindered them for literally years or decades following something that scripture was just not supporting. So I love saving time. And I'm willing to save your time this morning. This is not socialism or communism in Acts 2, okay? Um, I've, I, you might have been there before when people are like, look, there it is. They practiced 
socialism, communism, whatever they, they're into, you know? And it's not. It's not capitalism either. It's none of those. What you see in these verses here is God's people having an overflow of generosity out of the abundance of their hearts that are content in Christ, giving voluntarily to others. Um, there's no government forcing them to do this. There's no social contract or community decision that, is, that has told them that you have to distribute the goods in this way. They did it voluntarily, which squares up with 2 Corinthians chapter 9 whenever Paul says, each must, each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's voluntary. They gave and also, if you look at Acts 5, if you need a little bit more, look at Acts 5 when Peter talks to Ananias and he says, the field was yours before you sold it. It was yours after you sold it to do with what you wanted with the money. Personal possession, the, the Bible was not, is, is, is in the early community, is, was not trying to destroy personal property rights or anything like that. And it was not trying to support capitalism or any other government uh, or, or, or arrangement. It was the work an operation of the Spirit of God through the people of God to do the works of God. That's what it was. And so if we try to make it anything else, then we just start getting off track. Another thing that uh, stands out here is the wonderful, beautiful picture of the ordinary and the extraordinary uh, operations of the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders happening and also um, ordinary works of the Spirit, uh, the works of grace and people's hearts being turned to receive things in gladness. We can get tripped up over, you know, God should work this way or he should work that way or he shouldn't work that way because I don't like that. He, I, that makes me really uncomfortable when he works that way. So I'm gonna work around it. God is going to sovereignly work and wisely work through the methods he chooses, and we're not in control of that. And we're not called to be in control of that. We are commanded by Scripture to pray for the sick. We are called in Scripture to, to pray that mighty works of God to be done, but we don't hinge our hopes and our joy on how God works. What, however he works, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. And we, we receive it with gladness. So those two things there are things that whole denominations get caught up over. I was raised, uh, my, my dad came from, uh, so there's, there's Catholic priests in our, in our family, but he was raised in the Lutheran church. But he was an Assemblies of God pastor when I was growing up. My mom was raised Baptist. My wife her dad came from a Catholic background and her mom came from a Pentecostal background. Things were very interesting whenever we got together. Even praying next to each other was something we had to work on. Like, how do we do this? Like, uh, I, I don't know. I can't concentrate when you do that, you know? And so it's beautiful though because uh, the Bible doesn't embrace any of these denominations' uh, quirks where they drift and they get away from really what he's calling us to. It's not all about that. It's about Jesus, and it's about testifying about our rescuing king to the world. And he's going to do amazing works. He's going to do things that just seem ordinary, but they're actually amazing. They just don't appear so on the outside with all the fireworks. But it's amazing when somebody turns from sin 
to Jesus, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. When somebody gives up pornography or gambling or drunkenness, that's a miracle because we can't do that in ourselves. The power of the Holy Spirit working in us is the only thing that can do that. It is beautiful. Now, what do we see whenever we look at this passage right here? Do we see in all of this a social movement that is birthed out of human anger and frustration and restlessness? Do we see that? I think quite the contrary. This was a community of people formed out of the gladness and contentment in Christ and the hope of salvation that they had received in him. That's what I see them gathering around. That's what I see them them unified around that hope. Now, Peter, his tune got changed because before this all happened, he was thinking Jesus is gonna bring a literal sword. He's gonna literally cut off people's heads and we're literally gonna get out from under these Roman oppressors. And we're gonna win the culture war. Come on, you know? And Jesus didn't fulfill that. Jesus instead gave him a hope gave him a gospel of hope to preach to others. Do we see in this community of people, do you see in this picture a demographic or class or a category of people banding together to fight another demographic or category or class of people? I don't see it. What I see is 30 verses earlier than that. I see, and this is, this is amazing, it says literally from every nation under heaven, people were gathered there and they heard God's people speaking in their native tongue. And then they heard the gospel and then they were baptized into the church. The Christian table in those days had people gather around it from every people group, every people group, every socioeconomic status, every linguistic category and racial category They were getting to know each other. They they didn't even speak each other's languages. I don't know if the Holy Spirit continued to help them to speak each other's languages. So there was quite a bit of sign language going on like we do at the uh, Akaiwa outreach. And we're like, you know, they didn't even have Google Translate. So they're gathering together and they're breaking bread and they don't even speak each other's languages. And it was beautiful because they were unified, not around, I speak your language, not around, you have this amount of money or you're in this group or you have this skin color or you have this background or you like these things. It was, Jesus saved us, we're gonna get along. Nothing else really matters as much as that. Nothing else really matters as much as we're all rescued and we're called together. And this is what, we at Pillars strive to do through what we call missional communities. You can call them small groups, cell groups, life groups, call them whatever you want. We call them missional communities. It's a very functional name because we are communities on mission. God's people called together to serve alongside each other. People of different backgrounds, family makeup, rank, and position, all sitting around a table together, breaking bread Uh, having fellowship, praying together, and learning to follow Jesus together in a way that renews our neighborhoods. So in doing so, we fulfill the call that we have received together whenever we do that. This is our way. This is not a program that we do to reach 
um, some kind of an objective other than we see the objective, the call here in scripture that we're supposed to be doing this. And so we say, let's do this right here so that we can fulfill what he's called us to do. That's why we do these missional communities. Um, we're set apart to tell the world the story of our rescuing king. So here shortly, we're gonna have all of our missional community leaders come up. You're gonna hear from them. Uh, they're gonna tell you a little bit about their community and how you can start gathering with them. And I want you to remember that in Acts 2, what we just talked about and what you just saw, you saw not just people who went to church on Sunday morning and then went home and they were done with it the rest of the week. And they went back into their anonymity and they went back into not being known and not knowing others and serving alone. Instead, you saw them corporately meeting in the temple like we are right now, except our temple is a rental space. It used to be a liquor store. You saw them meeting corporately in the temple and also meeting in the home and breaking bread. We wanna see everyone who is meeting here corporately at Pillar be a part of the life of a missional community that meets in the home. So I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing and do communion and we'll, we'll do our final song and then I'll, I'll call them up and uh, we'll, hear, we'll hear from them. So please join with me as we pray. Father, we thank you that um, you've not called us to fight against flesh and blood, that flesh and blood is not our enemy. Uh, no people or people group or uh, category of people is our enemy. Uh, we are called to love everyone with the love that you loved us with. And you, we are called to work alongside everyone in your body and to do it joyfully and to build each other up and to take one another's interests and to sympathize with one another, caring for one another and giving to one another. Father God, I pray that in pillar you would work um, by your Holy Spirit, that you would work uh, mightily in these missional communities and that you would work in, in such a way that you would bring together and break down barriers between people, those human barriers that we put up in our hearts and we put up uh, systemically in society, that you would be breaking them down in your church through the gospel in love, that you would call us together and, and bring us together in unity, teach us through your word and through through the um, the rubbing shoulders with, with other brothers and sisters, teach us what it is like to live in gospel community. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.